Good morning. I'm Cindy Pitts with the Adult Ministries here at Heights Baptist Church, and I am so thrilled that you chose to worship with us today. And if this, if you are a guest and this is your first time visiting especially, we would like for you to scan the QR code that you see visible on your screen and uh, give us a record of your visit so that we can connect with you. I hope that you enjoy worshiping with us today. Well, and a I Bible with you this morning or one you may want to turn on. Let's go to Psalm chapter 2. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you're new in your Bible, uh, easiest way to find Psalm is just kind of open up right there in the middle, and then you'll find the book of Psalms and find Psalm chapter 2. We're beginning our Easter series called The Great King. Uh, when you think about our country, there is a, uh, a tradition that has started. It's not really an official tradition that the president has to do this, but it's, it's something that's been customarily done. Uh, president by president. And, and when one president is moving out of the Oval Office and a new president is moving in, uh, the outgoing president usually writes them a note. Uh, and it's usually a, a word of encouragement or maybe thinking about you, praying for you, you know, giving you a little bit of advice where the trap door is in the Oval Office. You know, we don't, we don't know everything they write in that letter, but it's just customarily done in our nation's history, that the outgoing president writes the incoming president a letter. Psalm chapter 2 is what's classified as a royal psalm. It's a psalm about a king. Now, we believe that David wrote this psalm, even though you don't see that listed in Psalm chapter 2, because the New Testament authors attribute this psalm to David. Peter will say it, and Paul will say it. And they said this is a psalm of David. It's a royal song, meaning it is written about a king. David could have written this about himself. He could have written this about Solomon. He could have written this about a future king. But what we see in Psalm chapter 2 is about a great king. Now, scholars tell us that when a new king would come to the throne of Israel at his coronation, at his time in which he took power, Psalm 2 was often read. Because the people had that expectation. Maybe this is the great king we've been praying for. Maybe this is the Messiah that we have been longing for and hoping for. There is a new breath of excitement because if you know anything about biblical history, not all the kings of Israel's were, were great. Many of them had moral failures. And many of them left power, either being conquered or they you know, died in disgrace. So with a new king came a new expectation and a new hope. Maybe this is the great king that we have been praying for. And so Psalm 2 is pointing us to one perfect great king who could fulfill this psalm perfectly. So if you don't mind, I, I know we stood a moment ago, but let's read the word of God together. And would you stand with me as we honor the reading of his word? Uh, we do this because uh, we see this pattern in the Old Testament. When they read the Word of God uh, in entirety in spots, they stood in honoring of it. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in desertion. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Look in verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son, and today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And we believe this is the word of God. You may be seated. When you come into verse 1, you see a foolish plot by the nations. A foolish plot by the nations. It says, why do the nations rage when the people's plot in vain? If you have a, an NIV translation, it'll say, why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain. When we read that psalm, we're in our minds we might think, who are they? Why do they think they know better than God? Why are they trying to tell God what to do? But if we read that text in that manner and way, aren't we the same type of people that would have been thinking that back then? But don't you and I do the same thing? God, why'd you do that? God, why didn't you do this? God, I, I, you should have done this. That was wrong. God, why are you doing this? Why do the people's plot, why do the peoples in the nations rage in the NIV? Why do they conspire? See, I think that quickly takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden when we stop and think about that verse. We think back in the Garden of Eden in God's perfect design, everything was perfect. When God made it all, it was perfect. God stepped back and said, man, this is good. Right? There was a perfect relationship between man and God. There was no separation. Perfect. There was a perfect relationship between Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? You imagine having a perfect marriage? How many of you married folks this morning have already not been happy with something your spouse has done? Please do not raise your hand. Please just think about this answer to yourself. For some of you, you're like, yeah. now I will visit you with me in my office later for marriage, right? But don't we do this? It doesn't take long to be around each other. We're like, why did he do that? Why'd she do this? Shouldn't have done that. That gets on my nerves, right? I mean, you just think about that. Not one moment of that with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Not one in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Not one like, hey, Eve, you irritate me when you do this. I mean, that's just perfect, right? God and man, perfect relationship. Man and woman, perfect relationship. Animals and animals, perfect relationship. Animals and people, perfect relationship. No mosquito bites, amen? amen? Wow, I got a mosquito bite the other day. I was like, you things didn't die in the freeze, right? Like everything perfect. But what happened? Satan came, tempted Adam and Eve, and Genesis 3, 5 said this, for God knows that when you eat of it, and that being the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't that interesting? That the temptation is, even though you have a perfect relationship, you still want to be like God. You think God's holding something back from you. 
And we know Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. When they sinned against God, everything was broken. And now we live in this estate, in this world of brokenness. Our world is broken. Our relationships are broken. We, we see brokenness all around us. And then we come into verse 1, and that brokenness makes sense. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? And notice who it's ultimately against. Notice who the plot is against. Notice who they're ultimately raging against. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. And it's against the Lord. You see maybe all caps there in your Bible. That means that's Yahweh, the name of God. It's against the Lord and against his anointed. See, even though we're combatants in the fight, the fight between good and evil, even though we're in that fight, it's ultimately against God. It's against God and Jesus. If you stand opposed to Jesus, you stand opposed to God. If you stand opposed to God, you stand opposed to Jesus. I mean, there's that old hymn, the battle belongs to the Lord. And so even though we're engaged in the war, we're combatants against it. When someone sins against us, when someone rejects the gospel you share, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Lord. They're rejecting God. And the New Testament authors understood this. Because, fast forward with me in your mind of the New Testament, it's Acts chapter 3. This is post-crucifixion of Jesus, it's post-resurrection of Jesus, as post-appearances of Jesus, he has ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. There's a man there that is crippled. He's begging for money. And this is somebody that people would walk by all daily, daily, daily. This man looks at Peter and John. He says, do you have any change for me? And they said, we don't have that, but what we can give you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this miracle happened, and now he's up, and he's running around, and he's leaping, and he's, he's dancing in the streets, right? I mean, he is excited. Now he can walk. Peter and John go on and share the gospel, and they share the power of Christ and who Jesus Christ is. And, and what you see early in this movement of Christianity is the religious leaders are upset by this. Why? Because almost 5,000 people now have been saved and converted to Christianity. That means they're moving out of the temple. That means they're not paying tithes to the temple anymore. You have a lot of the religious powers, uh, people in power that are, are afraid they're losing the power structure and the culture that they grew up in. And this whole movement of Jesus is just starting to rock their foundations. And so they arrest Peter and John. And they put Peter and John into prison and they tell them, you need to quit preaching Jesus. Stop. You have to stop doing this. And Peter and John say, no. We're not going to quit preaching Jesus. This is what he called us to do, to go and to make disciples of all people of all nations. And we will continue to do this. So in Acts chapter 4, they say, if you continue to do this, we will imprison you more. We will beat you more. We will even put you to death if necessary. They say, okay. And they let him go with a warning, but a stern warning. Acts chapter 4 in verse 23 is where we pick up. When they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, the church, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant said, By the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. 
The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. They were opposing Christ. And so Peter and John and the New Testament Christians knew Psalm 2 was pointing us to someone to come. What was this foolish plot that they had? Verse 3 tells us. It says in verse 3, the foolish plot is this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Let's get rid of God's cords in our life. Let's get rid of the bonds that God puts on us in our life. See, there's this understanding sometimes that non-Christians have and people struggle with. They say, well, I don't want to come to Jesus because of all the rules. I I don't want to follow Christianity. It's all just rules. Don't do this. Do this. And so what they they think is, well, if I come to Christ, then I'm going to have to stop doing what I'm doing and, and, and now do this, and whatever this thing Jesus wants me to do is going to restrict me. But the problem is this. Satan has deceived people so much to think that the sin in you and I engage in doesn't free us, but it enslaves us more. That staying apart from Christ enslaves you to the sin that has your attention. So the deeper I go into the sin, the farther I move away from Jesus, the more enslaved I become to Satan's work. But Christ says, no, 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 no. I break those bonds apart. I break those chains gone. That addiction That whatever is enslaving you over here that you're not finding joy in, you're not finding fulfillment in, you're not finding purpose in, that's taking you farther away from me. No, come here. Come here, let me me put you in my security. Let me wrap you with my cords. Let me wrap you with my bonds. I love what Hosea chapter 11 verse 4 says. This is God speaking to Israel who has had a pattern in a history of of leaving the Lord. Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, God says to Israel, I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. The foolish plot is to say, Lord, I don't need you. Lord, I oppose you. And notice God's response in verses 4 through 6 to this. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in desertion. He'll speak to them in his wrath, terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord in verse 4 is not in a panic. He has not even left his throne. He laughs. He says, ah, it's a foolish plot. Verse 6, when he says this, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. When I think of verse 6, in my mind, I go to Caesar's palace. Join me in Caesar's palace in Las Vegas this morning. Let's get on the first row. We're not gambling. Hang on with me, all right? I'm like, man, Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas. It's the only boxing arena I could come up with. Give me a break here. All right. Join me on the first row, Caesar's Palace. We got popcorn in our hand. We got a Dr. Pepper. If you're a Coke drinker, no offense. I'm a Dr. Pepper guy. We can still worship together. Caesar's Palace, first row. 
boxing match is about to happen. There we are, watching this about to go down. There's the ring announcer. He stands up in the middle of the ring and he says, in one corner is the nations. And he begins to name the nations who stand opposed to the Lord. And he says, in this corner are all the individuals who stand opposed to the Lord. And he starts naming off every person who opposes the Lord. He said, that's in that corner. Then he turns and he says, in this corner is the undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion, never been knocked down once, champ, the ruler of all the universe, God Almighty. Join me in this match and notice how this match happens it has been set, verse 6 says, God in one corner, I have set my king, the nations in the other corner opposing him. Verse 7, we see the divine rule of the king. Then I will tell of the decree. You are my son today, I've begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That match I described to you is coming. It's coming. It's coming when Christ comes again. When all those who oppose him will stand in battle against the Lord. Why I put you in the front seat is because that's where we'll be. As believers in Jesus Christ, when Christ comes again, we are the angel armies. Do we fight in this battle? No. Our king does not need our help. Because this battle is not even really a battle. This match isn't even really a match. It's over in one punch. It's over the first time you take a sip of that Coke or Dr. Pepper. You haven't even finished half your bag of popcorn before this is over. Verse 9 says, he will break them with a rod of iron. He will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. But notice verse 8. Because in verse 8, the people hearing this, their ears would have perked up. Because he says, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. What was the job of the Jewish people in the Old Testament? It was to let the light of God shine among the nations. That's what God says. I'm going to make you my people so that you will make my light shine among the nations. What is the job of the New Testament Christian? What is my job, your job, to make God's name and light shine among the nations? So verse 8, he says, ask me. I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Who is the king in verse 8? Who's the one that fully, perfectly fulfills that? The Apostle Paul said it was Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 33, Paul says this, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, he's fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it was written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So remember that, that God wants the praise of all people, the nations. That's why at Heights, we say our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. Our mission is not to make our church bigger. Our mission is to grow the kingdom of God, to reach our neighbors and to reach the nations. 
We go across the street and we go around the world with the gospel. Why? Because God is a God of the nations. How then can you be involved in that mission? How can you be involved in verse 8, having God's light going to all people? Number one, do this, personally share the gospel with someone. It's how you can be involved in that mission of loving and leading all people to a new life of Christ. Share the gospel with someone. We call it here having our four-by-four plan. Find four people that you know who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Pray for them four times a week. Spend time with them. Have four parties with them a year. Just find opportunities where you get together in a relationship setting where you can share the gospel with them. And it's all for Christ. So it's four people, four parties, four prayers for him. Maybe say, I don't know four people. I know two people. Great. Go with the two by two. Right? I know one. Great. Start with one. I don't have one. All right, pray that God would bring you one. And he would just bring in a relationship with you. So personally share the gospel with someone. That's how you advance the mission of God. Secondly, give. We've already talked about that. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering, that helps North American missionaries, over 2,000 missionaries. They're training church plants, church revitalizations, church replants. Give to your local church. When you give to your local church, that helps us fund together the ministries that we do here locally, reaching our neighbors, but also globally through our partnerships. Serve in your church. It's how we advance the mission. Serve. Find places to plug in and serve. One to two hours a week. Put a door hanger out this week. Invite someone with an invite card. You know, I can imagine when the people heard this, and they read through this psalm, there was excitement about this new king. They were thinking, maybe this is the one. Because the last guy didn't work out so well. There's oftentimes, there's excitement among us when a new person, whether locally in our state or in our nation, is elected. We think, well, man, hopefully this president will be better than the last president. Or maybe hopefully they'll be better than two presidents ago. And anytime a new leader comes in any new position, we always have that little bit of expectation. Maybe they will do a better job than the last person. And when they read this psalm, that was their thinking. Maybe this is the great king to come. And what I love about this psalm is the end. Because what you see clearly in the psalm is this, that if you oppose God, God will oppose you. That if you oppose him, you stand in judgment of him. And, and, and there's no hope in that fight with God. But this God who has wrath on you now because of your sin and your rejection of Jesus says, I don't want to stay in that position. I don't want you to stay in a position of brokenness. And this is what we call the good news of the gospel that the gospel is good news that God, even in our state of brokenness, says, come to me. Come to me. I want that relationship with you. And notice the invitation in verses 10 through 12. He gives us all. He says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. The term be wise right there means rightly see who this great king Jesus is. Be warned. You cannot stand opposed to him and expect to succeed. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. If you oppose Christ, you have rejected Christ, there ought to be fear in your life of God right now. 
because Hebrews chapter 12 says he is a consuming fire. And the only way to escape that wrath is to come under his protection through his son, Jesus. The only safe place from God's wrath is in God. So he says, serve him with fear, rejoice in trembling. How do I come to God? How do I know him? Verse 12 says, kiss the son. That phrase, kiss the son, means to worship him, to adore him, to submit to him. To come to Jesus and declare that he is the king of your life. And when you do that, you are wise in seeing the great king Jesus. You serve him. You kiss him. You adore him. You worship him. It says, lest you be angry and he perish in the way. His wrath is quickly kindled when we take his son in our life. And notice the blessed life at the end of verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This passage reminds me of why we celebrate Easter. Because what we see when we read this was they were expecting this great king to come. They were looking forward to it. When is he coming? We see this great king has come in the name and the person and the work of Jesus. Taking our sin upon himself upon the cross on the third day, rising from the grave, defeating sin, Satan, and hell for all of eternity, giving us hope now in life and through all of eternity because of what Christ has done. But now we sit in this position. Come again, O King Jesus. We have that expectation of the great king returning as they had the expectation of the great king coming this morning celebrate this great king jesus with me we sang it earlier O seed of israel's chosen race now ransomed from the fall hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him lord of all hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him lord of all let every tongue Let every tribe responsive to his call. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and let's crown him Lord of all. Will you pray with me? I want to thank you so much for watching today's message. And I want to ask you one final question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Now, you might say immediately, well, yeah, I I know Jesus. I know all about Jesus. See, at the age of 14, I would have told you I knew Jesus. I grew up in church. I grew up in church hearing about Jesus in Sunday school, in the worship services, vacation Bible school. But it was later in the year when I was 14, almost 15, that I realized that I knew of Jesus, but I did not know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know just of Jesus or do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior? You know, the Bible says that no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been away from the Lord, that anyone who comes and calls out on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that promise from Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I want to invite you today to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone for the salvation of your life. 
And you can simply just pray right where you are. You do not need to be in a church to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I was in my bedroom when I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And so if you'd like to take that step of faith with me, just right now pray. Talk to the Lord. I'm going to pray and, and just voice a prayer that you could follow along with me. And so let's do that together if today you're ready to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. Today I place my faith and trust in Him and Him alone. You know, friend, if you've prayed that prayer today and you mean that in your heart, the Bible says that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Your sin is forgiven and heaven is your eternal home. But there are steps of faith to grow in and to take. One of those is baptism, to be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, to find a local church to plug into, to read your Bible, to pray. We'd love to be able to come alongside of you no matter where you are and help you take that next step of faith to follow up with you. So you can go to heightschurch.org connect. And there on our connect page of our website, let us know if you've prayed to receive Christ today. Let us know if you have a prayer request or just who you are. We value you and we value connecting with you. And so we'd love for you to go to heightschurch.org connect. That information is going to come right to our staff and we're going to be in touch with you. So I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for watching. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to where you can find all our content of our sermons and podcasts and other resources that are designed to help you take that next step of faith no matter where you are. God bless and we'll talk to you soon.